Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, for this day that you have made, that we can spend it, uh, spend this time gathered together uh, as your people, uh, seeing what you, you have done for us in Jesus uh, and reading your word. And we pray now that you might speak to us through the scriptures uh, so that we might know how to live uh, when opposition comes, so that we might live together as citizens of your gospel. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, now, I'm sure you're aware that on the 24th of February this year, uh, Russia invaded uh, its smaller neighbour, Ukraine. Uh, they came in from the north and the south and the east. Uh, tanks and troops rumbled across the border early in the morning. Uh, the very first thing that they did was that they deployed uh, special forces to Kiev, the capital, uh, and the aim was to overthrow the government. Uh, to take control, therefore, of the whole country. And that operation was only supposed to last three or four days, a week max. And they were expecting that Ukraine would surrender, uh, that the whole country would be theirs, and they could install a new government that would be much more favourable to the things that they wanted. Uh, by every single metric, uh, it should have been a walk in the park. Uh, Russia spends 15 times more on their military. They have four times as many troops, six times as many tanks, and ten times as many aeroplanes. Uh, in the hours after the invasion, the United States offered to evacuate the Ukrainian president, uh, but President Zelensky famously replied with these words. He said, the fight is here. I need ammunition, not a ride. Uh, at that point, he became like almost every guy's like hero. Like, we wish we would be able to say that in that moment. It's been 179 days since the 24th of February. And Zelensky is still president, and Ukraine is still fighting. Uh, now, I bring this up not just because I love uh, um, military history and stuff like that and kind of global politics. I bring this up because Ukraine is a, a great example of one way that humans can respond when under pressure, when under attack. You see, when there's pressure applied, uh, when we find ourselves under attack, there's usually one of two options. We can either be split apart by infighting and disunity and become demoralized and give up. And that's what Russia was banking on. That is what they expected. That's actually what most of the world expected would happen. That, the, that Ukraine would fold kind of faster than kind of Superman on laundry day. Um, it's a, yeah, you can giggle at that. Yeah, it's a joke there. Um, that's what they all expected. But we've seen the opposite can happen as well. Our opposition can draw us together, unite us, so that we stand firm against a common foe, uh, as Ukraine has done so heroically. And this can be true of the followers of Jesus as well. When opposition and persecution comes, the followers of Jesus can either stand firm together for the gospel of Christ, or they can splinter off as tension mounts, give up, uh, give in to fear uh, and their own self-interest. And that is what Paul's concern is for this church in Philippi. As they face hostility, as they face opposition for following Jesus, he's writing to them so they continue to keep following Jesus. He wants them to stand firm together as citizens of the gospel, as he'll say, strengthening one another to remain faithful to Jesus to the end. Uh, and this is a timely word for us as well. I'm, I'm not sure if you've realized, but our world is increasingly hostile to the gospel of Jesus, isn't it? 
And for those who want to live a life that is faithful to God's word, uh, well, it's increasingly, we're not just seen as kind of weird or different, but we're actually increasingly seen as bad. Not just an irrelevance that, we can, that people can just ignore, but now Christians and the Christian gospel is seen as a problem that needs to be dealt with. <clears throat> now, Steve McAlpine, in his kind of excellent little book, Being the Bad Guys, uh, he says this. He says, In much of Western society, Christianity is the bad guy, or at least it is fast becoming so. Christianity is the problem. The cultural and political and legal guns that Christianity once held are now trained on us, and it's happened quickly. So as this tide of opposition rises, how will we live as followers of Jesus? As the pressure is applied, how are we going to go? Will we divide into kind of factional self-interest, just looking after ourselves? Or will we, as Paul urges the Philippians, stand firm as citizens of the gospel? Will we stand firm strengthening one another to remain faithful to Jesus? Now, last week, if you're here, you saw the Apostle Paul. He, spe- he spoke about his own suffering as he was kept in prison. And he spoke about that, that, that hard time as being uh, really a situation that served to advance the gospel. Uh, the guards, those all around the palace, they all heard about Jesus. And the believers uh, who were outside of the prison, well, they became even more confident to, to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim the good news without fear. And we saw there that what mattered most to Paul, more important than his freedom and more important than his comfort and even more important than his life, what mattered most to Paul was that Jesus and his kingdom were still advancing. That was Paul's priority. That was his great goal. And so as his Philippians come under this pressure, he wants them to have the same priority. Look there in verse 29. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 29. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now here I still have. You see, they are being persecuted just like Paul was. And Paul is urging them to stand firm no matter what. Have a look there um, in verse 27. Uh, They're to stand firm whatever happens, it says. Verse 27, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Those first two words there, whatever happens... You see, Paul wants those in Philippi who are going through hardship uh, to, to, to go through it just like he is, to remain faithful to Jesus, whatever happens. Whatever happens. They're not making deals with God. They're not saying, hey, God, if you give me this, then I'll remain faithful to you. They're not placing conditions on God. They're not saying, hey, God, I'll remain faithful to you as long as you don't ask me to do X, Y, and Z. They're not, they're not saying it's their, their faithfulness to Jesus is dependent upon ideal circumstances. They're not saying, hey, God, I'll be faithful to you if I've got enough money or time or relationships or whatever. Now, as Paul writes this group of uh, Christians in Philippi, he wants them to be committed to Jesus, to remain faithful to Jesus, to stand firm in the gospel, whatever happens. Whatever happens. Whatever happens, Paul wants them to live, he says, as citizens of the gospel. Uh, You see that phrase there at the beginning of verse 27. Uh, It says, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy. Uh, A better translation of that would be, live the life of a citizen. Uh, uh, And this is an idea that will become important later on in the letter, uh, being a citizen of heaven, a citizen of the gospel. Uh, But Paul here is saying, he he says, whatever happens, live the life of a citizen of the gospel of Christ. Live a life of one who belongs to Jesus. 
Uh, now, citizenship can be a big deal, especially if you have a, a citizenship that opens up a lot of doors. I remember growing up being jealous of people who had a, has, who had a passport that meant that they could live and work in Europe kind of indefinitely. I, I used to think that that was the citizenship that you wanted. Uh, they have those global rankings of passports, which passport opens the most countries to you uh, without a visa. Uh, currently, the UAE is number one. If you are a citizen of the UAE, you can go to 174 different countries. I know you're all sitting there wondering, so where is New Zealand? Uh, New Zealand is uh, equal third, and Australia is equal fourth. So there you go. There's a win. Um, <laughs> back in the first century, the Roman passport, that was the one to have. Uh, it really meant something. It really made a difference if you are a Roman citizen. Uh, if you're a Roman citizen, you could travel pretty much freely anywhere in the known world, and you are under the protection of the global superpower. And there are special legal protections and exemptions from tax for citizens of the Roman Empire. But along with the privileges of being a Roman citizenship, there were also responsibilities, there were obligations. Now, remember for a moment, these followers of Jesus in Philippi, well, Philippi was a Roman colony. It was a city established by Rome in a country that it had conquered long ago. And so it was an outpost of the Roman Empire. And as a colony, Philippi was supposed to represent Rome to the world around it. As one writer puts it, Philippi was to reflect in miniature the rights and responsibilities of the homeland. You should be able to look at the colony of Philippi and see a mini Rome with all its privileges and obligations for the citizens who live there. And here Paul is telling them that they have another citizenship, a citizenship that ought to be reflected in the way that they live. He's saying they are citizens of the gospel, that they first and foremost belong to Jesus and his kingdom. They are citizens of his new heavens and new earth. They're citizens of heaven. That is where they really belong. And just like the Philippi colony was supposed to be an outpost of Rome, someone looking at the Philippian church ought to see something of a mini version of the kingdom of heaven, a local representation of the people of God. Now, for the first century Roman citizen who, who followed Jesus, this would have been a big deal. Paul is saying they now have a citizenship that trumps their Roman citizenship, that trumps their rights and privileges of being a Roman. They have a citizenship that actually now means that they need to live outside the norms and outside the expectations of their community if they're going to follow Jesus. And, and for a first century Roman citizen in Philippi, that would have been a big deal. It would have completely changed the way that they engaged in business and, and their social relationships. It completely changed the way that they participated in the community life. Being a citizen of the gospel over being a citizen of Rome meant that you had to be different. Now, we don't place too much stock on our citizenship here in New Zealand. I know that uh, some of us are going through the slow process of becoming citizens or permanent residents. Uh, but to live in a society, sorry, but we do live in a society that has its ways of doing things, don't we? It has its ways of thinking and behaving, it has its allegiances and its allies. It has its priorities and preferences. And whether it's issues to do with integrity, kind of what's right and wrong, or issues to do with sex and sexuality and gender, or whether it's ethical questions about the beginning and end of life, or whether it's how we think about money or how we view other people, whatever it is, our 21st century culture, it has ways... That it has ways of thinking and behaving that we're expected to get in line with. The thing is, is, if you are living as a citizen of heaven, if you're living with your allegiance to Jesus and his kingdom, 
well then in that culture, you will stick out. Your allegiance to Jesus means that on many of these issues, you won't be sharing the popular opinion. It means that you'll be sailing against the wind. Now, if you don't believe me, um, if you've kind of wrapped yourself in a, a, a little kind of Christian bubble, uh, why don't you come and spend a day on campus with one of our students? The pressure to conform to a certain set of ideas, particularly around sexuality and gender, the pressure for them to conform is immense. Uh, During the last few club stands, our stall has been singled out, uh, constantly peppered by people from another club, asking about our church's position on these topics. Uh, This even led to a formal complaint to the university after a student from that club came and visited night church. Uh, They came to night church to gather evidence to then go back to the university to get our club kicked off campus because it was a danger to students. It's so much easier to go with the flow, isn't it? So much easier to keep your head down. It's so much easier to just smile and nod and add the pronouns to your email and wear the lanyard and like the social media post and go to the party and just not stick out. We're tempted to keep playing the game so we can enjoy all the privileges and benefits of being a citizen of our culture. To keep up appearances so we don't find ourselves as the ones who are cancelled or left out for holding an alternate view. But if you're serious about following Jesus, you'll soon discover, if you haven't already, then you need to choose. You need to plant your flag, decide which empire you're going to live for. Is it going to be for Rome? Or for Jesus? Is it going to be for secular New Zealand? Or is it going to be for the gospel? Is it going to be for a life of peace and quiet and comfort? Or for the disruptive kingdom of heaven? As we do this, as we live as citizens of the gospel, Paul says we're not alone. He says we're going to work at this together. Uh, Paul urges the Philippians in verse 27, again, uh, partway through, he says, uh, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Uh, now, this isn't a solo mission that the Philippian Christians are on as they live as citizens of the gospel. This, isn't, this is something that they ought to do together. They ought to stand firm in, Paul says, one spirit, striving together as one. Uh, In the Royal Marines, there's a diagnostic question they have to determine whether a soldier is fit to go to war. Uh, They ask those who are assessing the soldier, uh, would you go into battle with them? Would you go into battle and have them in in your squad, in your platoon? It's a great question, isn't it? Would you go into battle with them? If the answer is yes, then it means that they've got absolute faith in their skills and abilities, uh, that they'll think correctly under pressure, that, uh, that, that you are happy to have your life in their hands. I think that's the kind of picture that, of the teamwork that Paul is expecting here, of the followers of Jesus, especially as we're under pressure, striving together, standing firm in the same spirit, being bound together in such a way that there is no fear that there is no doubt, that we're not going to be frightened away by those who oppose us. So as you walk into the office tomorrow morning, uh, as you scroll through whatever feed you have 
on your phone, on the bus, as you listen to the radio and the latest outrage, or as you talk with others at the school gates, in that moment when you're feeling that overwhelming pressure to conform, to give in, to go with the flow, whatever happens, live as a citizen of the gospel and remember that you don't do it alone, that we're all working together. And we're all working together by putting aside self-interest, says Paul. That's how we do it. That's how we can stand firm together as citizens of the gospel, by setting aside self-interest. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1, have a look there with me. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1, Make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. How can we stand firm together as citizens of the gospel? Well, it's by being by setting aside self-interest. And that comes by being like-minded, by being of one mind. Uh, now, being like-minded usually means that you have a similar opinion or similar tastes. Maybe being like-minded means that you, you agree with someone on like politics or sport or something like that. But the word that Paul uses here for being like-minded is stronger than that. It refers to our mindset at the core of our being. It refers to our mind about what, what it is focused on, what our ambitions are, what our priorities are, what our, what our highest goals are. What are the things that we consider most valuable and most worthwhile in life? That is what Paul is talking about. And Paul is really calling them to realize that they've actually got all this sorted out already. Uh, verse 1, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. They already have this like-mindedness. They already have this unity. They already share this in Christ. And Paul is saying they need to realize that they've got it. And so now that they actually, he, they need to realize they actually already possess it. So now they need to think this way as well. They need to be united in this gospel mindset. United in having their focus and their ambition and their priorities all focused on Jesus and his kingdom. And the fruit of this united gospel mindset, this fruit, the fruit of this is that it means that they'll fight self-interest. Verse 3. Verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you looking to the interests of others. You see, Paul, he knows, he has seen, that when pressure is applied, self-interest and self-preservation can start to take over. When there's a threat, we start to look after ourselves and our own. I just think back to the COVID lockdowns. I wonder how many times we can talk about this, but I think back to the COVID lockdowns where there was a threat, there was danger, there was uncertainty about the future. And then what happened to all the face masks and what happened to all the hand sanitizer and the flour? Do you remember the, the, the videos of people fighting over the last packet of toilet paper in the supermarket aisles? As we all looked to our own interests and not the interests of others, that we all valued our own needs over the needs of others. But Paul urges the Philippian Christians that as the pressure mounts to have a gospel mindset, a gospel mindset where we're no longer ambitious for ourselves, but we are ambitious for the good news of Jesus and ambitious for others. A gospel mindset where we're no longer concerned about our own vanity or our own pride, but we're focused on the glory of Christ. A gospel mindset where we, in humility, value others above ourselves. And if we're really wondering what that looks like, if we're wondering what that mindset looks like in action, well, Paul gives us the greatest example 
in all of history. He gives us the example of Jesus. Whatever happens, in the face of opposition, we can stand together as citizens of the gospel by sharing the mindset of Jesus. Uh, Verses 5 to 11 of chapter 2. Now, there is so much that could be said about this uh, magnificent part of the Bible. Um, uh, But this morning, we can only be brief. Uh, So look with me at verse 5. This is the example. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. See, this is the one through whom and to whom and for whom the whole universe was created. The one who dwelt enthroned in glory in heaven. The one who deserves the worship of every living thing. What did he do? Verse 7. He made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You see, Paul wants to show us that Jesus, he was occupying the highest place in the universe. And from there, he was humbled to the lowest place. Uh, Back in 1943, uh, a psychologist named Abraham Maslow wrote a paper called uh, A Theory of Human Motivation. And in it, he mapped out what he called the hierarchy of needs. I know a bunch of you would have done this at university or something. Uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Um, It's kind of a scale of things that drive us. Uh, And it starts from kind of the bottom, the most primal needs that we have. The most essential needs in life. The basic drivers of like breathing and food and drink. Uh, Some wise guy added a good Wi-Fi signal to that recently, but that's a bit of a uh, 21st century problem. Uh, But he said that those those needs uh, are essential, the base level needs. And those physiological needs, if you haven't got them, then nothing else matters. Uh, But once you've got those physiological needs, then you'll be looking for safety, security, shelter. And so you start to build up resources. And once you've got those needs sorted out, then you go up a notch. And then you're motivated by the need for love and belonging, for friendship and intimacy. You're saying things like, I'm not hungry and I'm not in danger, but gee, I'm feeling a bit lonely. And once you get that sorted, then you level up again, which is to esteem. And then you're looking for achievement and respect. And you won't be happy and satisfied until you've got them. Uh, mind you, uh, again, if you've got the lower levels sorted, then that upper level is it's a bit of a luxury. But at the top level was what Maslow, Maslow, Maslow called his, uh, the level of self-actualization. Uh, the greatest luxury of all, uh, of developing yourself to everything you, you possibly could be. Uh, here's the thing. The Lord Jesus, uh, there was no one who has ever, had, who has ever been more self-actualized than he was. He was in very nature God. And see, while we spend our every breath looking to our own needs, trying to constantly pull ourselves up from one level to the next, well, Jesus, he willingly stepped down. No longer self-actualized, but profoundly limited. Human in every way. Not even esteemed, but he made himself a servant. 
not even loved, but shunned and rejected. Not even safe, crucified, physiologically struggling for breath, crying out for a drink, and then dead. Everything was given for us. And Paul says, make him your model. Instead of constantly looking for your own needs, instead of constantly working your way up, look to the interests of others. Be mindful of others. Don't spend your energy trying to impress, uh, trying to be the impressive one with the loudest voice. Uh, Don't live for the luxury, for the next luxury or the next step in your career ladder. Don't live for the holiday that's going to make your friends envious. Look to the interests of others. That's how we can stand together as citizens of the gospel. That's how we can stand together as citizens of the gospel, sharing the same mindset of Jesus. And at the end, it will all be worth it. We can, we can be certain that it will be worth it in the end because of what we see in verses 9 to 11. We can be certain that it will be worth it because we see that Jesus now is the one who is on the throne. And because Jesus now is the one who's on the throne, we see that suffering now leads to glory later because Jesus wins in the end. Have a look in verse 9 with me. Verse 9, Therefore God exalted him, that is Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. That's the picture we need, isn't it? That's a picture that's big enough to carry us through, to carry us through when the pressure mounts, to carry us through when the accusation comes, to carry us through when the temptations rise. This picture of Jesus on the throne with all power and glory, that Jesus wins in the end. So living for him, now it is worth it. And so whatever happens, live as citizens of the gospel, putting aside self-interest, and sharing this mindset of Jesus. It will all be worth it because Jesus, well, God exalted him to the highest place. And he gave him the name that is above every name. And there will be a day where every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So with that in mind, will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this picture of Jesus reigning and ruling in all glory. And Lord, we pray that as we see him, that we might see him also as the servant king who laid down his life for us, not only saving us, but providing us a model on how we're to live in this world as we remain faithful to you. Lord, help us to live together as citizens of the gospel, putting aside self-interest and sharing the mindset of Jesus, whatever happens. And we pray this in his name. Amen.